Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Open Source in Finos podcast. I'm your host, Grizz Griswold of Finos. In this episode of the podcast, we talk with Andrew Stein, who's an executive director at JP Morgan, about the Perspective Project. Andrew recently did a webinar with us about how to build an order book simulation with Perspective. This is a deep dive on that and everything else Perspective. So, enjoy, and let's cue the music. Hi, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Finos Open Source and Finance Podcast. I'm your host, Grizz Griswold. Marketing Manager of Finos, and today my co-host is Tasha Ellison, COO also at Finos. We are joined by Andrew Stein, Executive Director at J.P. Morgan Chase, and one of the lead maintainers of the Finos Perspective Open Source Project. Now, Perspective is an interactive visualization component for large real-time data sets uh, used to build reports, dashboards, applications, and more. And Andrew recently presented at one of our open source and finance uh, meetup webinars on how to build an order book simulation with perspective. And it was, of course, very well received. Um, so we wanted to get him back here to do a little more in-depth, um, really in-depth, actually, uh, podcast about the full breadth of the perspective project from a lead maintainer view. So hi, Andrew and Tasha. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Thank you all for having me. <laughs> Thanks. Um, Looking forward to it. Yes. So uh, let's just dive right into it. Um, so Andrew, from a lead maintainer perspective, um, in a nutshell, what is perspective? So it's really hard not to make perspective puns when you're talking about perspective, isn't it? This is so true. <laughs> I, I find it a lot uh, when I'm writing about it too. <laughs> so go ahead, man. So yeah, uh, you know, perspective has been in development for a very long time and it's gone through a lot of different manifestations it's hard to have a software project as large as perspective and just condense it down into one sentence but the sentence i've been using to describe perspective that i think describes really well is we really want to be the one-stop shop for um, financial experts to visualize their data we want to be you know the best possible solution for institutions banks and, and people who deal with financial data to be able to see it and interact with it and answer questions about it Awesome. Um, can you talk a little bit about, just to, to give um, our listeners a, a bit of context, can you talk about some of the users within um, JP Morgan and, and even you know out, outside of JP Morgan to, to the extent that you know of it, um, about how they're using perspective, uh, uh, I guess sure. internally and externally? So uh, I, I, my answer to this will, will belie my evolution of my thought on this particular issue. I'm going to say that there are three different categories of users that uh, J.P. Morgan. Uh, the one first one I would classify as our technical users. Uh, they're mainly quants and engineers who work with in our markets group. Um, and these are users who are using the JavaScript or Python APIs directly, either in JavaScript or in, in JupyterLab or in a Python uh, library. Um, and they're using Perspective basically to, uh, you know, aid in debugging, to validate data, to uh, see you know, outputs of, of data and jobs before front ends have been written and, you know, to basically do the interday work that they do as data analysts. Um, the second group would be the, what I like to call the non-technical users. Um, 
you know, these days we, we tend to hire a lot of traders who have a little bit of technology experience, maybe beyond Excel in terms of having a little bit of Python or a little bit of MATLAB or something like that under the belt. So a lot of those do fall under the umbrella of technical users these days. Um, but we do still have a lot of non-technical users who, you know, you can't really do this with the current offering of stuff that we offer in perspective in the open source world um, because it's really just a component. But internally at JP Morgan, you know, we use perspective quite a lot more. And within the firm, it's we have a large body of non-technical users who basically just use a service-oriented version of perspective that does not require engineering to just kind of like go to a website, say, I want this data from SQL and this data from you know an Oracle DB and this data from a REST service and this data from the internet and this data from CSV file I opened and see their dashboard and just be able to monitor their, their data all day or be able to ask questions about their data intraday as the market changes. And then the, the third type of user, which I realized was a user group while we were on this interview, <laughs> was the, uh, is our external users, so our clients. And these are non, you know, a mix of technical and non-technical users, but they're in a restricted environment. They're, they can only see their data through our client-facing portal. So I like to use the metaphor of the quant sitting at the computer and typing up a, a notebook and being like, aha, I cracked the market formula. And they take a monitor and they turn it around and show the client. That's the process of, that's my metaphor for describing the process of productionizing internal research at a bank. And perspective is just a, a really, really great fit for that because it's the exact same technology, the same engineering that they're using to do the research, their internal production state, to exactly what the client sees in their client dashboard on our, on our client facing web portal. And, and um, maybe you can't say uh, too many names, but uh, are there any other financial institutions that are using perspective or, or if not that, then are there uh, uh, categories of, of companies that you would say are using perspective? So, you know, financial professionals and financial mathematicians have a lot of very specific needs when it comes to kind of BI and, and data analysis tools. Um, perspective was obviously designed with that feedback front and center. So obviously a lot of the things that Perspective excels at are designed to solve the kind of problems that people dealing with financial data sets need. High performance, you know, being able to deal with extremely large data sets, you know, being able to have high data granularity and be able to do lots and lots of kind of interactive last minute, you know, ad hoc analysis on the data set after it's already been loaded. Um, which means it's very popular in finance. So we have lots and lots of other institutions using obviously RBC, um, in the Finos case study talked about their success that they had with perspective in their client facing portal. Um, I can't really <laughs> go into all of the details of all of the people who contact us in private about, about perspective usage, but you know, there's a lot of usage within the financial industry. Um, we've also I've noticed quite a bit of uptake in the academic world. Um, we have a really good Jupyter Lab plugin, Jupyter Lab being the kind of like it's the modern pen and paper for data scientists. <laughs> it is the, it's one of the most used tools in the field, right? So the fact that, you know, perspective is kind of one of the forefront visualization tools for that data environment means we kind of get used in all sorts of other uh, applications. I imagine I had a, a friend from high school who's an astronomer who uses a climate. I have some uh, friends in other uh, mathematics and, and bioinformatics fields who use it. Um, and we get quite a bit of feedback from the GitHub site that insinuates strongly we're being used in some other unrelated fields. That's, Unfortunately, that's awesome. open source makes it a little bit hard to track. <laughs> we we have that we we discuss that challenge on a regular basis um, with within within the team. Um, 
and, and I imagine that you know, I think one of the values that we've seen in uh, open source and financial services and, and in our community is that there's a lot of movement within organizations and that there's you know definitely some value to be able to move to a new organization and say, hey, I know this really good open source tool that I used previously and and being able to absorb that. So I'm, I'm guessing that that happens uh, with with a perspective as well and that there's probably some some evidence somewhere to point to that. Um, I, I did want to touch on a, a couple of things that you said. Um, one was picking up on JupyterLab and Python and some of the technologies that you mentioned. And, and also in the context of that, you said that it's been around for a long time. So how, so when you have a system that has been around for a long time, how do you make sure it stays current um, and that you're leveraging the latest technology? So <laughs> maybe you can um, uh, touch on, on that a little bit. Too. That's a great, that's a great question. Do you mind if I tackle that one first? Go for it. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is actually something that I take very personally. I, it, there's a very, uh, software is expensive, right? It, it costs a lot, not just in terms of money, but in terms of like time and expertise and, you know, the, the, the perfect team in order to really accomplish a product, it's really, really hard to do. And it takes a lot of investment from everybody involved in it. And especially when you're doing something aggressive or you're doing something kind of, you know, uh, bleeding edge that requires a really hard effort, um, it can be incredibly risky. And it is, you know, I can't, I'm not gonna, uh, this is, this really has nothing to do with JP Morgan specifically. I've been at many different banks and many different non-banks over my career. And this is universal throughout the industry everywhere that I've gone, right? Um, software engineers, overestimate the value of the thing they're building and underestimate the cost of building it always for every single project, right? And there is, if there's one thing that it will absolutely guarantee a project does not achieve its goals, it's when the developers stop working on it, right? At some point, you know, I, there's always, you know, everyone has a good excuse for why a project dies or why a project doesn't achieve its goals or why a very expensive strategic internal project, you know, gets canceled, um, but ultimately, the canceling is the thing that stops it from making progress, right? Software is a very complicated thing and it, it takes a very long time to build. Um, what perspective was originally, and I, I think I talked about this a couple of other times in, in some of the other talks that I've done with y'all. Um, perspective was originally an open or an internal proprietary piece of software that we used for desktop applications. It was written in C++, it was written in an era maybe not for the rest of the world, but for banking, it was written in an era when web didn't really exist in terms of our client focus, right? Um, internally, we use desktop applications for pretty much everything because of concerns about performance and correctness and, and, and the expertise of the engineering uh, teams that they had. Um, and the idea of giving our clients kind of like high frequency intraday, intermarket, you know, high granularity market data to analyze it for themselves was unheard of, right? Why would we want to do that? Um, and that's changed like substantially over the years, right? Um, if we had looked at perspective five years ago and said, oh, web, we're, the banks want to make websites now. Let's, why were we working on this desktop engine for five years? Throw that thing out the window. Like what a absolute rock. Um, well, that would have been the death knell for that technology, right? Um, Instead, we looked at it and said, hey, look, you know, this isn't, obviously this has deficiencies, right? We don't want desktop applications anymore, but there were 
tens of thousands of hours pumped into the software. And there's enormous amount of invisible value in terms of its correctness and its speed. And the fact that, you know, dozens or hundreds of traders and quants and financial professionals have been pouring feedback into this product for years and years and years, right? That accumulation of domain knowledge about our clients was really, really important. Um, so we had to dump an enormous amount of engineering into perspective at that point to get it to where it is, you know, when we open sourced it and where it is today, right? We had to port it to an entirely new runtime, basically, an entirely new language and a new container and a completely new API and introduce it to a, you know, environment where it had never been run before. You know, when we ran it internally, I think we were only, you know, I, I can't dox everything about the internals, but obviously we weren't delivering a product to the variety of different types of targets that we develop now. I mean, we these days perspective, we can pilot for four different versions of Python. We can pilot for, you know, four different versions of Linux, three different versions of Mac OS, Windows, web. Um, we have Python library. We have seven NPM modules. Um, all of this stuff was kind of like, hard work to do right but the ultimate value we got out of it of, of reinvigorating that technology and being able to reuse it going forward it's very hard to show that on kind of like a spreadsheet right um but not discarding that technology was uh i guess something we knew was yeah sorry i'm meandering a little bit let me focus back on the question i apologize no. would you would you say that um i mean it sounds like i think this this topic comes up a lot though how do you take um you know, all of the hard work and the thoughtfulness and the testing and the feedback, as you mentioned, that's gone into those platforms and and shape it for our new digital age. And it's not my favorite word, but it's a, you know, it's a topic that comes up a lot, which I think you've, you know, addressed very, very well in, in showing how perspective has adapted. Um, and do you think that that has, you know, that, that clearly has led to success and to some new, um, you know, opening it up to new contributions and to, um, new areas of, of use. So it, it seems like that's been. Yeah, it definitely um, has. That's definitely the case. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> this was perceived as a risk when we started working on it, right? There's no way we could have known whether or not this was going to be successful, but we knew going into it that it was going to be an enormous amount of work to port perspective and to support it going forward. Um, I have a very, uh, <sighs> it's a little bit difficult for me to kind of like uh, give a both sides review of how the decision-making went down because obviously I was a very impassioned advocate for this idea. And part of my position as advocate is to not acknowledge any deficiencies, right? <laughs> um, there's an enormous amount of risk of putting, you know, doing anything like this. Um, from my, I, I can't really give you both sides, but I can give you a, my perspective and how I validated this decision-making to myself when we did it. Um, all software dies, all of it, right? Um, maybe not the Linux kernel, but all other software dies, right? It gets old and bit rots and people lose interest in it and it gets too complicated and et cetera, et cetera, right? And it just goes to software grave. Um, if we had put a bunch of work into perspective and it hadn't have panned out and, you know, and ultimately ended up being something not useful, we would have stopped developing it. And, but, you know, that doesn't condemn the model to me. That just is how software works, right? We can't really know whether or not something is going to be viable. We use the 
agile model to assess whether or not we're building stuff for actual clients, not whether or not we're just building stuff for ourselves or for you know, the design document. And if it doesn't work, we pivot and move on to something else. And luckily, you know, three years later, Perspective was a huge success. The technology choice we decided to make did actually work really, really well. And Perspective is more used today than it was ever used as a proprietary engine, you know, back in its original incantation. But if that hadn't have worked out, we would have open sourced it. We would have worked on it for a while. Um, I know that kind of sounds contrary to the my original <laughs> um, suggestion of just like, you got to keep working on it. But this is the iterative model, right? The facts on the ground change over time. Um, I have a good story that I, I think kind of lays this out. When we were originally talking, and then I'll, I'll pass back to you. I apologize for rambling so long. Um, when we were originally talking about perspective and you know we were trying to convince the non-technical higher-ups that this was a really good idea. I remember one of the questions we had was something like, you know, um, if we if we invest in this, if we develop this thing, you know, is perspective going to replace, you know, all UIs at JP Morgan? Um, and I remember I said something, you know, I'll paraphrase it to something like, if we replaced 10% of the UIs at JP Morgan, we would be saving you billions of dollars a year, like yeah. easily. This is, you know, you don't, software doesn't have to be like the next Excel, right? To be valuable and to provide value. Um, the fact that we're still developing perspective today and with maybe even more zeal than we were at the past just says to me that there's a lot more we can do with this technology and we're going the right direction. But it's an iterative process. We make that decision as we as we develop. Right way to go. So, so Andrew, um, kind of speaking about technology choices, um, and and obviously there's there's a lot behind this um, uh, technologies that uh, perspective leverages. Um, you know, if if you're wanting to get started using this, do you have to be an expert in, in any or, or all of the languages and, and the technologies that are behind perspective? You do not. So perspective is a very complicated piece of software. And unfortunately, it uses a lot of different programming languages and different versions of programming languages and different technologies in it. Um, I like to tell myself that we got to this place honestly that we made good technical decisions along the way and we just ended up with a platform that has seven <laughs> programming languages predominantly in it um but a part of this is just an artifact from you know as an open source technology we haven't exactly been one development team for the entire history of this project we've had a lot of passionate opinionated developers who have come and left and, and maybe contributed for a little while as part of a side project or doing something else you know, drifted in and out of perspectives life, so to speak, which means that we just kind of have different archaeological eras of, of how perspectives internal code was designed. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, it does. That, that means kind of in practice, if you were to just sit down and say all the perspective developers are in open source prison or something like that, and we need to you know, take this code base and staff an entirely new group to get started on it, that'd be very difficult. Um, it's something, you know, 300,000 something lines of code at this point. Um, like I said, seven different languages. It's, it would be quite complicated to move on. Um, but that doesn't mean you have to be an, you know, you don't have to be a 
10-year developer and an expert in every programming language that Perspective uses in order to contribute to it. One of the nice things about Perspective is because it's large and because it does a lot of things, um, you can be a very effective JavaScript developer on Perspective without knowing anything about C++ or Rust or any of the, or Python or any of the other languages we use. You could only work on the Python library and never touch the C++ part of it. Um, if you were really concerned about performance and memory management, you could work on C++ pretty much without ever really knowing anything about C++ or Rust. Now, there's a big asterisk on the end of that sentence. Um, complicated projects are complicated. Period. I guess. <laughs> complicated projects have kind of like pro complicated externalities, right? They have complicated build processes, complicated dependencies. You have to install the right versions of seven different languages. You have to have all the right libraries. You know, we tried to script all this stuff and make it as compatible as possible. But this was a huge engineering effort. I'm certain there are still holes in there. So, you know, the, the overhead of getting started with contributing to perspective can be a lot more than smaller open source groups. But the flip side is you don't have to write a faster, you know, core algorithm in order to contribute. There's all sorts of ancillary stuff we need help with. And I'll tell you the, the things that honestly, I think are the best opportunities for new contributors to get started with perspective are, and this is gonna sound really silly, but I'm gonna justify these things. Um, examples, uh, documentation and tests. Um, I don't, now these aren't, I, I know these sound like we're basically throwing all the grunt work <laughs> to the community. And I want to be clear, like we do all of our own examples, documentation, testing all the time. Um, it's, you know, most of what I do, frankly, is right documentation and tests and, and examples and things like that for perspective. However, um, because it's us, the core developers doing this work, we end up with, I think, kind of a case of tunnel vision, right? I mean, I, I'm deep in the perspective world, right? I know how perspective works. I know all the capabilities of it. And when I read the documentation, my vision is completely blinded by the things that are missing because my knowledge of how the code base works just fills in all the gaps for me. It can be incredibly difficult for me to read through our own documentation and, and even see where we're missing detail or where things aren't really you know, explained or where we've left out kind of critical pieces of the API. That's kind of stuff that, and frankly, technical writing is very, very hard, and it requires you know, a certain set of skills that not all engineers necessarily have. So if you're good at it and you can share that with the perspective community, that is incredibly valuable. It's not a low, you know, it's not like grunt work that we're just throwing off because we don't need it done. It's literally something that we don't, A, don't have the capacity to do well because of our point of view, and B, because it is actually a hard skill set that you know <laughs> we as engineers maybe aren't necessarily uh, great at the, the well, pros like part of the job. Too. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, uh, the documentation from my point of view is good, but that's part of the problem. From my point of view, it's good. It needs to be good from, <laughs> right. from a developer's point of view. Um, for examples and stuff like that, again, a lot of the problem is the data that I deal with day to day is almost exclusively proprietary. So I have this mental model of what perspective can do and how it can fit with certain data sets and problem sets, but it's very difficult for us to communicate that externally, right? We have to come up with completely open 
you know, non-proprietary data sets, and we have to figure out an interesting story to tell out of them. And then we have to use our perspective knowledge to translate that story into a perspective application, right? The order book example was, was an example of that, right? Where we take a, a domain problem and kind of build an example, right? Out of something that I'm familiar with, but we literally made up the data because it's so hard to get, you know, market data that fits the real-time market data that fits the uh, the profile of what we need for an example page. And then uh, tests are, we take testing very, very seriously for something like, you know, there are open source projects that are open source first and not really used in production, right? That don't really need to do a lot of testing because they're, you know, buyer beware open source. There's proprietary software that only has a few internal users and they don't prioritize testing because, you know, the actual, you know, uh, tread that the, that the API or the front end of their applications gets day to day is so narrow that they don't need to have a lot of testing. But perspective occupies the worst of both worlds, right? We're both open source and we have, you know, it is, it is not just a joke thing we do for fun. Perspective is a key part of our business. And, uh, you know, everything we do for open source is a side effect of, of the fact that we're developing a perspective to be used by JP Morgan to, to run the business, um, which means we really need to, we can't, we can't release versions of perspective where features work in one version, they stop working in another version. Or, you know, an API works like this in one version, it works it like slightly differently in another version without us tracking, announcing, and documenting that as part of our release process. Um, we have a, it's a very high bar to do that kind of stuff. And our testing suite is advanced. It is very, very detailed. And specifically adding tests to it makes perspective more robust. It makes my confidence in our ability to release quickly and safely higher. Um, and most importantly for new contributors, it is by far the best way to get familiar with the perspective code without, you know, having to worry about how complicated it is or whether or not you're going to screw something up in production or something like that. If your main concern is like, you don't have a goal in mind, you just want to contribute to open source. Testing is a great way to do that. It's something that we value an enormous amount. It's something that, you know, there's tons and tons of documentation on within the code and you know, just all over. Um, longer term, you know, obviously the Scott Logic contribution of the D3FC module was amazing. Um, we recently had a, just last night, I merged a, a branch called the Expert TK branch. Expert TK is another open source programming language written by a GitHub user, Arash Patel. I hope I didn't mangle his name too much, um, but this is another 30,000 line new feature commit to perspective that I'm extremely excited about. Um, so, so it sounds, I mean, that, I mean, that's been, that's been great. So you've new contributors coming in, new, new um, contributions coming in that are significant, yep. but some great ways for people who maybe don't know as much, um, you know, you talked about documentation, examples, and tests, and that there are lots of different, you know, knowledge of different language. You don't have to know them all. You can just know a couple of things. So really, it seems like there are lots of ways to contribute um, to, to perspective and to really continue to build a community, which you've clearly already done quite successfully. Um, so picking up on the example that you gave of the order book um, mm -hmm. and that, you know, we touched on that as this was part of, part of uh, what you covered in the um, webinar, which of course people can go check out. What tell us a little bit about um, what what that what that is, and why why you thought that that was a useful example to give um, to show to the community. Honestly, I just thought it would be fun. 
Um, an order book is a is a pretty common uh, a visualization in like a Bloomberg terminal or a Reuters icon or something. You know, a lot of trading applications have order books or pretty much anything that has level two or level three data will show you an order book visualization that kind of looks like that. Um, you know, I've been, like I alluded to, I've been at a lot of different institutions over my career. So I've seen a lot of iterations of these kinds of visualizations. When we, when we sat down to kind of design what the product experience for perspective was gonna be like, um, we had a couple of goals. And one of them was, um, like in the, in the desktop or in the old version of perspective, you know, when it was a desktop application, had a completely different UI. We had a very like a uh, form-based user experience, right? So if you wanted to make a chart, you'd go to a form control and would open up a big like tax document and you'd go fill in your social security number and your favorite vegetable and all your other stuff and say like, I want to, I want a layer with a, with a line chart and I want the pixels to be four pixels. You know, it was like, like doing your taxes basically. And we wanted from a product standpoint for perspective to be, um, uh, discoverable in the sense, and the way that we wanted it to be discoverable specifically was since the core engine was really a data, a very fast and efficient data transform engine that was designed to handle the scope and scale of, of financial data, we wanted to show that off in the UI and show that basically through a series of incremental visualization decisions, you could basically build the view that you wanted one step at a time. And every step of that you know, GUI uh, uh, journey, um, the UI would update to show you feedback, even if the view was nonsensical or not what you were looking for. And the reason that we wanted to do that was specifically to educate the user about what those transforms were doing, right? Rather than having a form-based user experience where it's like, you know, fill out this W2 and then come back for us. And a week later, we'll show you what the chart looks like, right? We wanted the prospective user experience to be every time you click anything, even if it's just an intermediate step to get your final visualization, we need to show what the UI is going to, you know, what the chart or the graph or whatever they're building is looks like immediately at that step. So the user will learn what these transforms mean and learn how to build stuff. Um, that kind of led to this model of pretty much all the operations we end up building in perspective being these one-off small data transforms, right? About how do you, and about training the user to think about the, the visualization as a data structure that is being projected into pixels. And the operations that are doing on it are about transforming that data structure. So the order book example to me was very powerful because the end goal was this thing that I think all you know, people who've worked in financial technology for more than a couple of weeks have seen an example of before. And the source data was something that I think pretty much every financial engineer has seen before, right? A stream of rows that are trades that update, right? And being able to kind of demonstrate that the path from market data, just raw whatever came out the wire to finished project was just a series of data transforms that could be accomplished entirely in the GUI. Um, and that those data transforms translate to perspective API calls to me at least, tells a very powerful story about where perspective fits in the financial application development workflow, right? It shows that entire middle piece of just like, even though this is a toy example, um, you can see how these operations kind of add up to a financial product. Does that make sense? That does, that, yeah. that, that so does make like, sense. And I, I believe I caveated in the, in the talk a few times that this was a simulation, not a real order book. Obviously in a real <laughs> application, there is um, the eagle-eyed viewer, I'm sure noticed there are a bunch of little quirks and things that you would like to solve in a real order book. Um, 
there, you know, I don't want to make this a five hour podcast. So we won't go into all the details about exactly all the things you can do with perspective to, to manipulate and fix those. It was supposed to be kind of a, you know, show the viewer, hey, look, I, I want to expand your imagination about what you should expect from your software, right? You download, uh, like I won't name our competitors, but you download another grid or a chart library or something like that. And that's the beginning of your multi-week development journey to get to the point where you can actually see what's, you know, what the visualization is in your mind. And perspective is once your data is there, you're 99% of the way through your journey, right? The rest of it is literally just doing, <laughs> you've already gotten to the point where you're in your visualization. If you just want to play with it, see it, filter it, pivot it, aggregate it, make it a chart, ship it to the product, ship it to the clients and go home and play with your dog. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, no, that makes so, a yeah. lot of sense. Definitely. I mean, we Thank have you. other, like I said, we have other examples on the on the GitHub site. Honestly, one of the biggest challenges with this project has been finding good external data sources and examples we can use to show the capabilities of what Perspective can do outside of a financial context. Um, I'm, you know, I'm aggravated that I had to make up order book data for that application. But the fact of the matter is, I can't get 24 hour a day. You know. A market that's 24 hours a day that has real-time order book data for free <laughs> that can scale up to any number of random users who might visit the sites is unheard of. So yeah, that's that's pretty tough. I do I like your um your the uh, one example I've seen before also just totally out of financial services is the New York Metro bikes where you can what, overlay a grid of of where they are and and how they move throughout the day. So. You know, clearly neat, there's right? lots of applicability, but um, New York State has great open data in a lot of different uh, facets. We did a uh, did another example recently that's the, the NYPD Consumer Complaint Review Board uh, database dump. Um, it is 83,000 records on, or sorry, it's 235,000 records on 83,000 uh, active and inactive NYPD officers over the last 20 years. Um, and the data set's been available for a really long time, but it was only available in a Microsoft Power BI application provided by the New York State Open Data uh, website, which, you know, I'm not gonna pick on my competitors or anything like that, but that specific implementation of Power BI was not very good. And it was really, really hard to, you know, you have to scroll through, you know, 83 or 200,000 rows or something and then find the, the incident you're looking for and then click on a thing and then wait five, six seconds or whatever for it to load up a new page. Um, perspective, because of the high performance backend technology we use can load literally the entire data set, all the incidents, every address, every you know detail of the report in one database entirely on the client side, which means we can get complete interactivity on the entire data set at once, which I thought was really, Cool. I can't wait to go back and dig more into what else New York has in open data and see if there's some <laughs> other uh, fun stuff in there. Yeah, well, and if we come across any interesting data sets, we'll be sure to to, to point them your way. Um, so we're, we're getting you could a, be a perspective uh, contributor. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, we're working on it. Um, we're getting close to the to the end of our, our time together today, but um, maybe you can talk us through a little bit about what's in the future for perspective. Um, what are, are any of your future plans that might be interesting or where, where you might need some, you know, looking for some help besides data sets, open data sets. So this year, um, our main focus for perspective. So last year, our main focus was getting the Python library 
um, up to production status. Um, it's something we started kind of early last year and spent last year kind of like building out. Uh, the Python library is a replication of our, our front end library. And it's basically like a, uh, it's a companion library. It allows people who are building uh, perspective applications who use Python on the server to use this library to get extremely fast, simple, and efficient um, streaming data out of their Python server into their clients. Um, but because we were working on that last year, the front end part of perspective didn't change very much. We were, we were putting most of our time into the Python library. Another the Python library is out in production. Um, this year's focus is perspective GUI 2.0. We are taking all of the feedback from the first version of the UI uh, that we've received over the last you know, two and a half years or so, and we are uh, uh, bundling it all together and making a new version of the, of the GUI, not from scratch, but um, it's going to be a fairly substantial um, improvement. And the first feature of that work, like I said, I just merged it last night. It will be in the 9.0 or the 0.9.0 release is this new um, expression language that we just merged that will allow you to uh, create and edit um, columns in perspective with a, a very powerful embedded uh, language based on expert TK. It allows you to do all kinds of really neat stuff. Well, that sounds exciting. I'm, looking forward I'm, I'm to very that. excited about it. And then, uh, you know, there will be a lot of incremental kind of GUI, better controls, better buttons, better drop downs, kind of like easier ways to save, load, persist filters and, and hook up global filters and kind of like create more, use the exact same operations the perspective already supports, but create more complicated views of them directly in the GUI instead of having to go in the code and say, well, what, these three columns from this table and these four from this other table, and I want to join them, but only on Tuesdays if it's an even day of the month or something like that. And you can now embed that logic in the GUI instead of, you know, coding it beforehand, which is very, very powerful. That's cool. That's cool. Well, um, I think we'll probably wrap there and um, in, in, in the show notes that I do, um, I'll make sure that I put obviously links to um, the perspective website, uh, the GitHub repo, the talk that you've done, plus the uh, case study. Um, and, you know, if you want to remind me later of anything else that, uh, that we could put in there, um, especially to, to help, um, maybe people that are, are, are finding out about this for the first time, finding out about perspective for the first time, um, uh, you know, where they can start, if there are good first issues or anything like that. Um, and um, so uh, so we'll put all that in the show notes. Um, and I wanna thank uh, you, Andrew, and, and you, Tasha also, um, for spending some time to, to, to discuss perspective and, and everything about it. Um, and, uh, you know, in general, I just want to thank um, uh, our audience um, here at Fennel. Sincerely, thank you for spending your time with us and, and invite you to connect with not only the Perspective community, but also the greater Fennel community. Um, so join us at Fennel.org to find out more about our community. Follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Join our uh, our Fennel Slack channels um, and, and you can uh, talk directly to uh, Fennel employees, but also get involved in uh, some of the other uh, communities around different projects and including perspective um please subscribe to the open source and finance podcast and rate it five stars that helps us a lot um and join the mailing list for our bi-weekly updates um but just get involved with the community it's growing it's um 
it's 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 I think I said this maybe a little bit earlier today to somebody, but um, uh, if you compare it to where it was three years ago or even just a year ago, um, the Finos community is expanding um, incrementally. So it, it's really fun to watch. Um, and uh, and Andrew and Tasha are part of that. So thank you. Um, but this has been your host, Grizz Griswold of Finos. Good day, good night, wherever you are.